Well, hey everyone, um, I'm Nathan, if you don't know who I am, I'm a ministry intern here at Salt, um, and I'm new to church, so if you're new to church, then please come up and say hello, I'd love to meet you after the service. Um, but we're here and we're going to jump into God's Word, um, so how about I pray before we do that. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your Word, Lord, we thank you for the way that it challenges us and it trains us for righteousness. Our Lord, would you be with us now? Would you help us to sit under it, to hear from it, um, and to have our hearts changed by what it says to us? We thank you for your Son, and Lord, in his name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to continue our series in Matthew. Um, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's a famous passage of teaching by Jesus. Um, and we're in Matthew 5. And last week, if you were here with us, Dave looked at Matthew 5, 17 to 20. And we learn about how Jesus is at the centre of Scripture. That Jesus is at the centre of all of the Old Testament promises and all that the New Testament fulfils. And we were encouraged to read Scripture with Jesus at the centre. And to let God's Word shape the way that we live our lives, that shape our heads, our hearts and our hands. So as we come to this next section in the Sermon on the Mount today, this is our context. Jesus is teaching his disciples about life in the new kingdom that he's about to bring in. And in verse 20 we read that if you want to enter the kingdom, you need to be more righteous than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of the day. And as Dave shared last week, this would be like telling a Roman Catholic today, you have to be more righteous than the Pope. To Jesus' disciples, this would have seemed impossible. How could anyone ever be that righteous? So as we come to our passage today, I think Jesus expands a bit on what this righteous life is going to look like. Put simply, he's teaching them about the truly good life and what it is. Now, this question of what is the good life has, question, has plagued philosophers throughout the ages. Um, and Netflix even had a God answer it the other day. Uh, so Katie and I have just finished a series called The Good Place. I don't know if anyone watched it. Really good series, can recommend. But in this show, um, the way you live your life and the way you make it into the good place depends on how many good things you can do like, in your life. All the good things that you do accrue points, and you tally up as much points as you can, and if you have enough points at the end of the day, you get into what they call the good place. But all throughout the show, this question is, well, what, what's a good enough life to get in? Is, is the standard that we've set the right amount? Should we change it? Should, should we do something different? Should we change the system? Because we all often wonder, what, what is the truly good life? They kind of answered it on the show. I won't spoil it for you. If you want to watch it, I recommend it. But we all want to know what this level of righteousness is. How good do we have to be to get in? And if you were one of Jesus' disciples sitting there listening to him speak these words, unless your righteousness surpassed that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure you would have had some questions. How can anyone then be righteous enough to enter the kingdom of heaven? Or maybe put simply, 
What is the truly good life, Jesus? Well, today I think we're going to have a crack at answering that question in our passage. We've got a lot to get through here. Dave's really stitched me up with a big section. So I'm going to break it down a little bit for us to make it a bit easier to understand what's going on. Uh, we're going to look at Jesus' teaching in pairs of two. Uh, first, we're going to look at murder and adultery together and see what that has to say. Then we'll look at divorce and oaths. And finally, retaliation and love. And by doing this, I'm hoping that, that we're going to see how Jesus teaches that the truly good life, the truly righteous life, is lived under the surface. So I think each of these pairs of teaching has something to say about what the truly good life looks like under the surface. So let's jump in at verse 21 and look at what murder and adultery have to say. Look with me at the beginning of our passage of verse 21. It says there, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which was an insult in Aramaic, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Well, that's a pretty high standard that Jesus sets right from the beginning. He's putting anger, insults on the same level as murder. So what's he getting at? Well, I think he's saying that a truly good life is a matter of the heart. I think that's what this first pair of teaching tells us, that under the surface of a truly righteous life is a heart that's changed. See, we see the same thing with adultery. If you look at verse 27, it says there, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, true righteousness is a heart matter. It's no good to say, well, you know, I, I thought it, said it, but I never did it, so I'm okay, but... You know, I get a bit angry at times, I throw out the odd insult, but I've never murdered anyone. Yeah, you know, I check out the odd girl on the street. Yeah, I might, I might, I might, my gaze when I shouldn't. But I'm faithful. I've never committed adultery. Jesus is saying here that true righteousness in His kingdom is not just about not doing things. True righteousness is concerned with your heart, even what you say, even what you think. And if we want to be truly righteous, then something drastic has to happen to our hearts. We need to take sin seriously because sin leads to judgment. See, that's why Jesus says back in verse 23, that you need to go sort out your relationship before you can come and offer your sacrifice. Because sin is important. Sin leads to judgment. Again, in verse 29 here, Jesus says, it's better to lose a body part than to commit a sin. See, there's drastic change that is needed at a heart level. Because true righteousness is a matter of the heart. So that's the first way 
that the good life that Jesus is teaching about here is lived under the surface. It's a matter of the heart. And secondly, as Jesus looks at divorce and oaths, that's our second pairing today, we'll see that true righteousness is also a matter of integrity. After speaking about murder and adultery, Jesus goes on to speak about divorce in verse 31. We read there at verse 31, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim or to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now these are complex words that Jesus says here. Many people have taken these words to try to come up with a theology of what's the right view on divorce or remarriage. And I think that can be helpful. But I think in the context of our broad section today, I think what Jesus is doing here is he's teaching more about what's under the surface of righteousness, true righteousness. You see, in Jesus' day, a legitimate reason to divorce your wife could have been for something as small as burning your dinner. In a culture where marriages could be broke up of just over just trivial things, where men had all the power, Jesus redeems God's plan for marriage and says that living a truly good life as a married person requires integrity. It's about living in a commitment to sexual integrity over and above signing a certificate. So therefore it's not good enough to just sign a certificate and call it a divorce and send your wife out on the street. Because in those actions, Jesus says, can actually cause more sin. See, in Jesus' day, women had next to no rights for themselves, so they would have to remarry for social security. And Jesus says that if you make a decision without integrity, you could actually cause others to sin too. Now, I need to say that marriage and divorce are very, very complex things. And there is a lot more that Scripture says, or that I could ever say in this sermon, speak in this space. But for the sake of today, I want us to hear Jesus saying that marriages rely on integrity. If you want to live a good life as a married person, you have to have integrity under the surface. And I think as we look at what he says about oaths, following on from this, it makes that a bit clearer. Again, in Jesus' day, there was this book called the Mishnah. And this was a book that recorded all the Jewish oral laws of the day. If you wanted to be a righteous person in Jesus' day, if you wanted to live a good life, this was the book to read. And in that book, there's a whole section on oaths. Whether or not an oath that you made was binding, or whether or not it wasn't. So for example, one rabbi said that if you made your promise toward Jerusalem, well then the promise you made was binding and you had to keep your word. But, if you only made your promise by Jerusalem, see the difference? Then that wasn't a binding promise, and you didn't have to keep your word. And into this culture that was caught up on nitpicking around words and phrases, coming up for excuses for things, Jesus says integrity matters. Just let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Because a good life 
is lived with integrity. And he says that these promises that you're making anyway, you don't actually have the right to make them. Look at verse 34, what he says. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. See, everything is God's in the end, Jesus says. So what right do you have to make any sort of oath anyway? Now I have to say that I think this section says that all promises are bad. I made promises five months ago on my wedding day, and I think they're legit and they're binding. But what I think Jesus is getting at here is that under the surface of a good life is integrity. Trying to find loopholes of legitimising a divorce to get rid of your wife or ways to get out of a promise you might have made is not the way to be righteous. True righteousness requires integrity. So seeing that the truly good life that Jesus is talking about here is lived under the surface because it's a matter of the heart and it's a matter of having integrity. So as we come to this last pair of teaching that Jesus speaks about here, retaliation and love, we're going to see that a truly good life also requires a willingness to go the extra mile. That's the third way that a good life is lived under the surface. If you look at verse 38, we read, You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You want to be a truly righteous person, Jesus says? You have to go the extra mile. Be willing to self-sacrifice. Be willing to be generous. And I think this carries through to what Jesus says in the following section about love. If you look at verse 43, he says, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is radical teaching from Jesus. And I want you to notice that was what was said right there at the start. See, most of these, you've heard it said, but I say to you sections that Jesus has been teaching about. He's generally teaching against maybe a misinterpretation of an Old Testament law or someone is taking a little bit astray. But here, it's clear that someone's actually added something to the law that God made in the Old Testament. See, God never commanded anybody to hate their enemies. Yes, he commanded them to love your neighbour, but he would never command them to hate their enemies. So obviously by the time of Jesus, this command to love had been turned into an excuse to hate. Instead of going the extra mile to love one another and love neighbours, somehow someone here has gone the extra mile to turn a commandment that was for love into a commandment to hate. And so Jesus redeems the original meaning of when God said, love your neighbour. And he extends the word neighbour to mean everybody, even to the point of your enemies. 
Now we did a whole series on love last December and we looked at how this teaching from Jesus was radical. See, no other person in history has taught this. But the righteousness that Jesus is on about is about going the extra mile, even to the point of loving those who are persecuting you. Love should go beyond what is socially acceptable. In a society that was focused on paying back wrongdoings and getting even, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, Jesus says, go the extra mile, turn the other cheek. And in a society that wanted to find justification to hate those on the outside, Jesus says, go the extra mile, love even your enemies. So the truly good life is lived under the surface. It's characterised by a transformed heart, a life of integrity, and a willingness to go the extra mile. Now we've seen what Jesus says in this section and we have to think about what do we do with this teaching from Jesus today? Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what I think you shouldn't do. I think the wrong thing to do would be to hear this passage and hear what Jesus says and thinks, think, well, I guess I've just got to be a more righteous person under the surface. That'll get me into the kingdom of heaven. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot here that's worth reflecting on, thinking about, applying to our lives. What I think Jesus is doing here is he's motivating us to consider seriously the sins that are tucked away under the surface, but he's also telling us that we all fall short, that none of us can actually live up to the righteousness Jesus talks about here. I know as I've read through this passage this week, I fall short on most of the accounts that Jesus makes here. Get angry at someone, throw out your insult, done plenty of that. Look at another woman lustfully when I shouldn't, I've done that. And I could go on, there's so much in here that I fall short on. I think it's probably the same for most of you. But if you've managed to get through this whole list and you're still thinking, no, no, I can do this righteousness thing that Jesus is talking about. Well, we'll let's, look with the, let's look at the last verse of our passage. It says there in verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, the good life Jesus is talking about here, a righteousness that exceeds that of the most righteous people of the day, is so far under the surface that it's perfect. And can I tell you that there's going to be no amount of trying that you can do to get there. Going by the standard of verse 48, there is nobody righteous, not even one. So that's what Paul says in Romans 3, isn't it? But halfway through Romans 3, we get one of the most wonderful passages you could ever read. After Paul has explained how all people fall short, of God. We read in verse 21 in Romans 3, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. See, the truly good life 
true righteousness can only be found in Jesus. So that's the heart of the gospel, isn't it? The people like you and me fall short of God's standards. But that God can make us righteous in Christ. If we have faith in Jesus, that he came and lived the perfect life for us, then we can be made righteous too. So that's because Jesus was the only person that had a truly pure heart. Jesus was the only person that lived a life of true integrity. And Jesus loved his enemies so much that he'd die for them on a cross. See, this shows how Jesus was the only one who was truly perfect and his heavenly father was perfect. So can I encourage you, if you've come to church today and you think that your good life, all the good things that you do are going to get you over the line. If you're living like the people on the show, The Good Place, trying to accrue enough good points to get you into The Good Place, then today can I relieve you of that burden? Because Jesus has already done that for you. So can I encourage you, if you haven't put your trust in him yet, do it. There's no better day than today. But maybe you're here and you've already put your trust in Jesus. You're already a Christian. Can I remind you of one important thing this afternoon? That is that you never graduate from the gospel. By all means, go home and reflect on this passage and seek to live lives that are shaped by what Jesus teaches you. There's good morals in this passage. But never think that that's the thing that will make you righteous with God. See, sometimes I think we can fall into a trap to feel like, you know, we got the gospel and we've graduated from that and now we're just going to do our PhD in living the good life. But can I remind you today that the only way to live a truly good life, a truly righteous life, is in Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can get under the surface and shape you from the inside out. So keep on coming back to him. Spend time reading his word and letting that transform your life. Spend time in prayer asking him to help you with sins that are under the surface and you're struggling with. He's giving you his spirit to help you with that. But always remember that we only ever live a truly good life in him because he gave his truly good life for us. How about we pray? Lord God, we thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, that although we fall so helplessly short of the standards you set, that you would send your son to live the perfect life and to die and be raised again so that we may have life in him. Help us to never think that any of this relies on us and how good we are, Lord, but always to remember how good you are and to trust in you to make us truly righteous. It's in Jesus' name we pray.